Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you, gentle listener, like this show, you could rate it, you can review it, and you can smash that subscribe button. We would really, really appreciate it. And hey, you know, tell somebody else. Tell, tell anybody around you that you like the show. That's how we grow this audience. We'd really appreciate it. And we are very grateful to all of you who listen and will be even more grateful to you if you did all of those things that Steve just asked you to do. Recommendations coming up a little bit later on in the show. We did a deep dive in ratings last week, so recommendations are back this week. Uh, there was been, there's been clamoring, Steve, for recommendations. <laughs> yes, <laughs> lots, of, lots of people clamoring. Um, so we've got recommendations coming up a little bit later on. Jim Wyatt is our guest today on the show. Could not be a more timely conversation with Jim Wyatt uh, about his career growing up in the newspaper world and transitioning to the Titans uh, state-run media, as we like to call it. But the Titans, honestly, Steve, do it better than almost anybody else in the business. And uh, he'll talk about how he toes the line between being a a reporter at heart and a newspaper man at heart and telling the team's story and, and how he's maybe been told to to back off from time to just time. a little sometimes from time to time uh, but a lot of really great stories about how he became the guy who broke all the news on the titans beat for so long and and how it really was like i don't want to say killing him but like that's kind of how he describes it so uh it, we'll, we'll have a great conversation with him before we do however steve cavendish lamestream sports is brought to you by it's brought to you by jaspers you can get three dollar beers and ten dollar burgers, which is actually like a double patty smash burger, as they call it. Uh, the smash burger is such a good thing, <laughs> such a good thing. Big, big fan of a of a little smashed out crusty crusty burger. It's awesome with multiple patties, uh, multiple patties. Um, ten dollars for that. All all of that, of course, happens during Preds games. Um, so if you're you know if you're a cord cutter like Steve, and you don't always get the Preds games, go to Jasper's. And you can get $3 beers and a $10 burger. Preds, home and away games at Jasper's. Great happy hour. You can drink the Gold Standard cocktail, of course, which is named after the podcast, The Gold Standard, which you should listen to from the 440 Sports Network with Adam Vingan and myself, along with Fringe Element, the SEC podcast, out every Wednesday with Stephen Godfrey, myself, and Aaron Dugan. The 440 out every single day. And Club and Country right now covering Nashville SC. Tis, tis the season. Yes, the, the MLS Cup playoffs are right around the corner. Decision day is this weekend. West Bowling, Tim Sullivan doing a great job with some bonus episodes and some surprise guests and stuff on that feed. So make sure you're checking out all the wonderful offerings. The accoutrement from the 440 Sports Network, Steve. And go to Jasper's, by the way, also. Yes, always go to Jasper's. Uh, our guest today is Jim Wyatt, uh, someone that I have... I have, uh, uh, you know, appreciated for a long time. He's a hell of a reporter. And even though he has crossed the street uh, to state-run media, still remains uh, a- a- an exceptionally good reporter and writer and-, and chronicler of all things Titans. It's it's a little bit like, I believe the situation that uh, the analogy you used is is perfect here. It's a little bit like having uh, Herb Street on a game that he can't pick and he can only sort of describe... <laughs> when uh because of the derrick henry news that broke this week we didn't talk to him about that we talked to him about a lot of other things but jim is just uh, is just a consummate professional and someone who really set a standard 
on the Titans beat that quite frankly, nobody after him has, has lived up to. Yes. We can, uh, it's Jim White cannot make a prediction on the game. Um, it's, right. it's basically what we, we cannot ask him. Why didn't he break the Derrick Henry new? Like that's not, we can't, we can't ask him that, but he has a ton of commentary about the dynamics between the national and the local news because he was on that beat for so long. He's got incredible insight into that. And, and obviously in light of the Derrick Henry situation, again, it was Adam Schefter. It was Ian Rappaport. It was, uh, I think maybe Graziano, I think maybe had some news in there too, but basically it's the same collection of people that are tied in very high level sources at all 32 teams, but also the league office. And I, I don't know. I don't even know what my first question should be. Cause it's not like, should the Tennessean be breaking the news that Derrick Henry's had yes. foot surgery? And, and if your answer, I guess it's clear what your answer should be, but, but I would push back on that to defend the people that work. Some of the reporters that work there, that the infrastructure is not set up and designed to help foster that sort of, cultivation am i am i wrong there and i think jim will talk about this but i'm just curious what uh, jim, jim does talk about this i i would what i would say is that i i would have i would have applauded and 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 just promoted the hell out of anyone local who would have broken the story anybody somebody local step up and step up and break a story on the titans instead of instead of the national guys i, I understand it in a, in a in the sense of a lot of these things happen at the agent level and happen at happen at in some of these stories happen in a league office that affected that affected a specific franchise like the covid stuff last year was a good example i mean all that stuff was was communications that was that were happening with the league office and so those guys have access to it i am the the derrick henry thing was really frustrating because somebody local should have broken that story and or have been trying to i mean I didn't even see evidence of somebody like trying to break that story. I don't disagree with you. I, I guess just for the sake of the conversation, I, do we think that this is something that is unique to Nashville? And, and no, I don't. I don't, I don't I, think I, it is. No, I, I think you're exactly right in that th- things funnel up to figureheads now. I mean, they figure up. I mean, when they say Schefter, I mean Schefter is a is an umbrella term for a, a bunch of people at ESPN. ESPN. Yeah, but but mostly you know mostly Schefter, but. But the, but there's a bunch of other people in there as well. Same thing with Rappaport. I, I just Jim Jim being here could not be better timing to <laughs> illustrate kind of kind of the the way things have changed. I mean, things roll up to, into these national sources in a way that they they just never used to. And, and and Jim took a lot of pride in that, and and he talks about that. You know, he wanted to beat everybody on on his beat, and I and I think that. We don't have a lot of that anymore. We're, we're, we're trying to explain. We're trying to analyze. We're trying to, you know, we're trying yeah. to engage. It's a lot of opinion. Break some news, people. Break some fucking news. <laughs> Steve, sorry, you can't see Steve's face, but he is frustrated with the local <laughs> national news dynamic. And again, I want to reiterate: it is not just a Nashville problem. There are a lot of really good reporters on the local beat in Nashville that do very good work. Um, I think the environment has, and and the, the situation has affected those individuals ability to do it for a variety of reasons. The, the for-profit model of the news companies in the Tennessee and in the, you know, like there's a lot of re- the national connection to the national media. Like there's a lot of reasons we've talked about them. Uh, at nauseum. So we are not allowed to, to ask Jim Wyatt for prediction on the game. So he did not address the Derrick Henry story specifically, but he talks all about the entire dynamics, his history, of course, uh, in the news, coming up through the newsroom and what he learned in his time at the Tennessean, 
the effect it had on his family and his life, frankly, I thought was really important to pay attention to. And of course, his transition to working for the Titans and uh, what it means for an old newsman to be crossing the street. So without any more from us, let's hear from the great Jim Wyatt. Jim, good to see your face. Welcome to the show. We appreciate your time today, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Appreciate you guys having me on. So we got a lot of stuff to discuss about the Tennessee Titans, about newspapers, about writing, about reporting, a lot of great stuff. But let's start with your the beginnings of your career and how you ended up on the Titans beat and basically dominating all of the reporters for a couple of decades. Just tell us how, how that all got started for you. Give us your story. Well, I, uh, it's funny. I got into the newspaper business working part-time at the Tennessean right after I got out of college. And, uh, you know, I graduated from University of Tennessee in 1989, got on a Vandy hat. My dad was a Vanderbilt Law School grad, had me going to Vandy games since I was a kid. So I'm a diehard Vandy fan, even though I went to UT. People hear that story said, you went to UT? I thought you were a Vandy fan. Yeah, I'm probably the, one of the few that actually root for Vandy, but went to UT. But that's a whole different story. But I graduated from college. I worked my final semester at UT at the Daily Beacon, which is a school newspaper. And when I got out of school, I I mean, I didn't have really any newspaper experience. I I started working full time at a place called the Register of Deeds, which is where property deeds and mortgages and tax liens are recorded. That was a summer job I had for so many years. When I got out, I started working there. They said, you work here until you kind of figure out what you want to do. So I started working at the newspaper at night. I was taking agate. I was taking bowling scores and hole-in-ones and any high school sport that uh, that you could take. And um, hey, let, me, let me jump in here. For, for those who don't understand agate here, I mean, <laughs> people would call in on the phone with yes. their sports results to get on the scoreboard page. And you had, so you had to keep people there in order to take those calls. And that was like yes. the entry level job. It was. And there was a bell that used to go off in the Tennessee and it would ring and it would ring and it would ring being there on a high school Friday night. And I'd go home and my ears would be ringing for, uh, you know, for hours after I got home, but that was an entry level job. And that's all I did was take answer phone calls and, and, and type in who, you know, you know, who scored the touchdown or the volleyball results or track and field or, again, holding ones, you name it, and that was it. So I did that for a while. They started letting me write a little bit off of these. And then my first writing assignment at the Tennessean was a couple of months in. Uh, the Tennessean Regatta was a was a sailboat race out at Old Hickory Lake. Oh, and my God. Somebody bailed on it. And they said, hey, how'd you like to get a byline and cover this Tennessee and regatta? I said, that sounds good. What's it entail? And well, it entailed sitting on a sailboat all the whole weekend. It was probably about 40 degrees both days. And it was probably a 20-hour uh, work weekend to get a byline. Had you ever been on a sailboat at that point? I'd never been on a sailboat. Yeah. And it was, uh, <laughs> it was quite an experience. Uh, they were glad to have me there. This was a big deal back in the day. It was a Tennessee sponsored event. Usually it was Larry Woody out there or Charles Searcy or, uh, or, you know, Tom Sullivan, somebody who was kind of a seasoned vet. And all of a sudden they send me out there and, uh, and I was happy to be there. They were happy to have the coverage. And, and kind of one thing led to another. I really had to pay my dues uh, because I worked that full-time job I was telling you guys about at the Register of Deeds for about six, seven years, working 40 hours a week. And then I would go to the Tennessean at night on Broadway and work, you know, 
five to 11. And then I'd work on weekends. I was working 40 hours a week at the register of D's and working 35 hours a week at the Tennessee. And I did that for probably six or seven years until I got a chance to start covering high school sports on a full-time basis. They may be high school, high school sports coordinator, did that for a couple of years. All of a sudden, boom, the Predators and Titans moved to town. They said, hey, how would you like to, to cover, you know, these two professional teams? And I jumped at the chance. You know, John Glennon was on the hockey beat. You know, Jeff Legwald, Paul Kuharski was on the professional beat. I kind of slid in, kind of watched them, kind of learned the ropes and went from covering the clinic bowl to, you know, the Super Bowl. Uh, my first year and it was a dream and then just kind of things just kind of uh, kind of took off from there and before long I was the, I was the beat guy before we get into sort of the, the the job you did covering just the Titans once you sort of got to that point in your career you learn a lot of stuff during that eight nine ten year period of time right is there a way or a a comparative thing that young people today in that same situation learn or is that something you could only learn because of the way technology worked at that time is there something that's comparable to what that eight or nine years where you learned all that stuff is that happening today for young reporters i don't think it is i mean and i i owe so much debt and gratitude to the people who were patient with me and kind of showed me the ropes and you know mike organ was one of those guys who's been to tennessee and forever you know larry taff was one of those guys david Clymer was one of those people. I mean, everybody that, that kind of I worked with back then, I, I, I was young and didn't really know what I was doing. And the only way you can can get a knowledge of how the newspaper works or how to chase stories or how to, to deal with the long grind and working so many hours is just to do it. I mean, I have so many people, you know, reach out to me now, hey, can you help me get on with the Titans or help me get on the NFL? I just graduated from college. I'd love to have your job. And I'm like, hey, it took me 25 years uh, to get here. And a lot of it was just stuff that no one wanted to do. But I look back at that time and I'm very thankful for it because now I don't, you know, don't complain about the hours. Don't, you know, don't sweat the small stuff quite as much. It's just really just learning to do it. You know, you, 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 you make mistakes, you learn from them. You know, but the main thing is just try to deal with people and getting to know people and people, you know, looking after one another. And I think that's all that experience and paying my dues, you know, kind of helped me so much. There's no way I could have done the job that I did as the beat guy for the Tennessee. And if I had not been, you know, the, the high school sports guy trying to chase those stories all the years or just trying to find my way. How big was that? How big was that department back then? Because that newsroom was, I mean that newsroom was, I guess after the banner, uh, after after the banner folded in '98. I mean you had it was like 180 or so people in that whole newsroom. How big is that yeah. sports department? It's crazy. I mean probably 35, 40 people. I mean three columnists. I mean at least. I mean Climber, Woody, and then when the when the banner folded, Joe, Joe Biddle joined the ranks. You had three columnists working, uh, and you know, you know, the, you know, you had Vanderbilt beat guys and Tennessee beat guys, and you had three or four uh, people covering preps, and you had, you know, your Titans, your Predators people. I mean, it's, you had so many general assignment reporters. You had enterprise reporters, uh, and all these people traveled. It was, uh, you know, it's not like it is now where you're you're picking up 
wire copy or you're having somebody from the other city covering it. I mean, you had this was your own staff that you were sending to all these events. I think when the Titans went to the Super Bowl in 99, I think we sent 18, 20 people. Uh, and some of those were photographers, but we sent editors there. We sent all these writers. There were probably 11, 12 writers at the Super Bowl. And uh, I don't think there's 11, 12 writers on the staff now. How did Jim Wyatt become the guy who broke every single Tennessee story, every every single Titan story? Explain <laughs> how that happened. Uh, because I was um, I'm competitive and I hated to get beat on a story. I mean, I took more it bothered me more when I got beat on a story than, than me celebrating when I got them. Because if you got one, you knew there was another one right around the corner that you were going to be trying to get. So, uh, you know, part of it was just, that was the culture that I was in. I mean, uh, I mentioned David Clymer. I mean, I watched him work and, and, and knew how much it meant for him to have the Tennessee and be first on stories. And Jeff Legwall, the guy that I, that, that kind of showed me the ropes, he was the same way. Um, and so when I took over as the, the main beat guy in 2001, again, I was st first started coming to the team in 99. I was behind Legwald and Kuharski. And then a couple of years later, just two years later, Kuharski was moving on to do something else. And, and Legwald was more the NFL guy. So they said, do you want to be, you know, the Titans beat guy? And I, I, I knew it was a big jump. I had small kids at the time, you know, and so I knew I'd be, you know, sacrificed a lot to do it but how could you pass up on that opportunity you know this is my I grew up in Nashville you know we got NFL team coming to town how could you turn down a chance to be the beat guy but it, it became my life I'd be lying if I told you otherwise and uh, it, I was consumed by it I, I just I was embarrassed when I walked into the newsroom and I didn't get a story uh, I felt like I let people down uh, I took great pride in having you know Tennessee and reports just going across the ticker at the bottom of ESPN. I slept with the phone by my bed. Uh, I never took a day off uh, because I, again, I wanted to get every story. I'd get ulcers because of it. And it was an adrenaline rush when I got them. I'll tell you that because you knew everybody was trying to get them. And, and um, so that's, that's kind of how it happened. And I didn't get all of them. But I can promise you I was trying on every single one of them. I don't care whether it was people, coaches getting hired, coaches getting fired, players getting cut, who's coming in for a free agency visit, who's the team going to draft, who's got an ACL, who's got an MCL, who got in trouble overnight. I mean, I didn't just chase the big stories. I, I, I was wanting to get every little tidbit that came out of there because I felt like if I'm the Tennessee's beat guy and you're the paper of record, that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, you're not supposed to let a guy in Bristol, Connecticut, get a story on your beat when you're standing there watching practice every day and you're working for the Nashville Tennessean. So uh, that's that's how uh, it took over my life. And I loved it. I'll say that. And uh, I couldn't have done it forever. That's part of the reason why I made the switch when I did, because it consumed me. My wife would tell you that I, every time I went on vacation, I never really was on vacation because I was still chasing stuff. And you know, I didn't trust turning it over to somebody else because I knew they weren't going to try to get it like I was. So uh, it, it has to consume your consume your life. And that's what it did. It, there are a lot of and Steve has talked about this and we've talked about this. Uh, on the show before within uh, any, any sports organization, we'll use the Titans here, obviously, but within each organization, there are a lot of competing interests that might be different from ownership to administrative, to player, to coach, 
each one of them might have their own view of, of a thing, of a, of a subject, of a topic. But, but in your situation, you're consumed with sort of all of those different entities. How do you balance and negotiate knowing that you might be getting information from two different people that are good sources, but might be, they might have conflicting interests, let's say. Yeah, I mean, and I have to say, uh, you know, and, you know, I, I was covering the beat at a time when you had, you know, Floor Reese and Jeff Fisher butted heads. I mean, I, there's there's no question about that. They respected one another, but uh, but there was probably there was friction between the two of them, and uh, so you had to weigh some of that. Who's a Floyd guy? Who's a Jeff guy? Um, you know, I covered a team. Uh, you know, when there, you know, over the years, then when there, you know, there was a lot more probably friction than there is now, where John Robinson and Mike Vrabel were on the same page. But you do have to balance that, and you know, my, my people at the, uh, you know, at the newspaper were uh, were adamant about sourcing, and you needed more than one, and you had to run it up the chains to get sourcing approved, and you didn't want to get burned on a story because you felt like somebody was was using you or one they kind of get their uh, get their spin on a story. So yeah, it was a tough balance. A lot of times I had good editors uh, that, that challenged me. I, I'm sorry I haven't mentioned his name yet because I think if I was one guy that influenced me as much as anybody, it was Mike Jones, who was just a hard-nosed uh, editor who, who, who was held me accountable. And Bob McClellan's another one of those guys that I worked with. And those guys made you check your sources and they questioned why people were telling you stuff and wanted to make sure you weren't putting something out there that wasn't rock solid. So there's a lot that comes into play. And a lot of it is having people working with you that are holding your feet to the fire and making you think about things from different angles. So you go from, you go from a, a two newspaper system where breaking uh, breaking a story meant okay we got past you know you got past the banner's deadline so you knew you were going to have a story there I, I knew at the banner we used to we used to like look at look at the first stuff coming off the presses at about eleven o'clock and see if see if stories were in there be like all right we know we're going to be able to break something else in the next day's paper to one newspaper to the internet and all of a sudden you go from a deadline structure where it's i'm going to put this in the paper tomorrow morning to i'm going to punch a button and i'm going to break this right now <laughs> what what did how did that change how did that change the the nature of breaking news on a beat uh it i mean it's funny you look at me now it, it makes me sound like i was miserable and uh <laughs> <laughs> You are, are miserable, you know, part of the time because you're worried about what somebody else has and what somebody's beating you on. And and I used to wait for the banner to come out to see if there was something in there that I didn't have. And uh, and that was a daily thing. And when, when the city paper came along or Nashville sports paper, any, anything that was a competitor to me, I was always worried that they were going to have something that I didn't have. And, that, again, that's part of the reason why I was so consumed by it and tried to break everything. So I went with dealing with that to all of a sudden, uh, you know, you got the web and then where you're writing 24 seven and then Twitter comes around in 2009 and that really changed everything. And yeah, you, I mean, you went from, from holding, try, hope, you know, trying to make sure something got into the next day's paper without somebody else getting it to 
you know, getting your phone and checking Twitter, you know, every five, 10 minutes just to make sure Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport or, you know, uh, one of the national guys doesn't have something. So if you get a scoop or you find out something, no, it's not like you can wait to the next day's paper. You had to try to get it out there as soon as possible. For it. So as a beat guy, yeah, the, I mean, the, the, the internet, social media, that was a game changer in good ways and bad ways. It was good because you could break a story and, and have it out there, but it was also bad is that the wins were short-lived. Like I'd break a story that I'd been waiting on for three or four months trying to get it pinned down. I'd get it five minutes later everybody had it. So, uh, and, and people didn't care who really broke the story. It wasn't like it was scrolling across ESPN because ESPN was going to get it sourced themselves by then. So uh, uh, there were good and bad that came with that, but it certainly was a game changer as far as covering the beat. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned guys like Mike Jones, these kind of, I mean, really hard bitten, really solid uh, force you to be accountable guys. Uh, how much of that do you think has been lost in the, in the social media age where the premium is on speed as opposed to, as opposed to, you know, making sure that you had it right for a publication the next day? Oh, definitely. I mean, a lot lot of that's lost because, and that's why I think you see mistakes and why you see stuff maybe not be quite as thorough. Uh, And, uh, and, and certainly, you know, again, I was working with Mike when you when you had to get stuff sourced and he would would send stories back to you, ask you questions about this or that. You, you need to check with another source to make sure you had stuff rock solid. I mean, it was a it was a process, especially on big stories that you were breaking. Now it is um, you're you're flying by the seat of your pants on a lot of these things, especially during free agency or coaching hires and and firings that, you know, you get a call from somebody saying this is going down. You know, there were times when I didn't even check with the paper. I just went with it. And I got yelled at a lot of times because of it. I remember, uh, I mean, there were so many things that happened, but I remember when the Titans drafted Mariota, I was still with Tennessee at at the time. It was 2015. Uh, Check with somebody that, you know, the first pick was in. Uh, The Titans were on the clock. Um, I check, checked with my sources, who, who, who's the team picking? I said, Marcus Mariota. There were still eight minutes on the clock. I went, Titans are drafting Marcus Mariota here. I mean, and the clock was still running. I, you know, editors calling me, you know, hey, you know, what, what's going on here? You're saying they're drafting Mariota. That happened all the time. Like, if I heard stuff, they trusted me enough that, if, you know, because I'd done it for so long that, um, you know, somebody tells you something's going to happen if it's a good source go with it before somebody else gets it. And, you know, um, yeah, I think some of, uh, some of the old school reporting with, with editors holding you in check is just not there. And, you know, the Tennessean, uh, again, I'm not trying to throw shade at them, but they're just so short staffed and they breaking stories and, and getting the story first is just not important. Uh, anymore uh, they're just they're just kind of out of the race and, and a lot of that's probably because editors just don't you know they don't ex- there's no expectation that you're going to get anything what's fascinating about that is that there are also 
while there's fewer checks and balances on the on the on the work process you were doing there in that moment, there's also less repercussions for being wrong. I feel like there there's not the, the internet may say some mean things to you for a day or two, but then it's sort of like, yeah. but then we sort of move on and the news cycle moves on. So we've got all these competing forces, right? Like less and less access to the coaches and players, less personal relationships, less oversight from editorial that's that's doing the diligence to sort of create. Uh, you know, really solid reporting and less oversight from the fans who don't care as much if you're, if you're wrong, where's the pushback on all of this? Where's the tipping point where something happens and we say, wait a second, like this isn't good for the fans. It's not good for the teams. It's not good for the reporters. What is that pushback going to be? Yeah. That's, I mean, I do, I don't know what it is. That's, that's a good question because every, everybody makes mistakes. I mean, even the, even the, the big national guys will throw stuff out there from time to time and they're wrong and, and they'll own it. And as uh, somebody who, uh, who did it for so long, I covered one team. I, I can't imagine what Adam Schefter and Ian Rattleport's life is like covering 32, but no, you're going to make mistakes and you're dealing with so many different people. And, um, you know, I think, you know, People and, and I, I forgive those guys and they make mistakes. I understand how miserable their life probably is and how they're competing to try to get these stories. And you're, you know, you're going to have a slip up every once in a while. But um, it sure bothered me. I mean, I, it, uh, I can't ever remember a time when I just threw something out there that was flat wrong. I, sometimes there were some sources who, who maybe led me astray on things. But you know, you just, you know, you got to do the best you can to try to to have a reputation where people trust what you're saying. And if you make enough mistakes, then I think you'll lose some of that trust. And so I think that's what that has to hold a lot of these guys accountable is just have, have forced people to believe what you're saying is true and that you're not going to be sending out a, a text 10 minutes later saying, you know, sorry, my bad. Uh, I own that this was a mistake. There's also a few companies that might just hire you because of that, but that's neither here nor there. Um, can, can I ask follow up about Schefter? And and because I know there's certainly some people on the Titans beat that that are very passionate about this, uh, people that we all know very well. Um, is it is it good for fans, just the fan of a Titan, a Titans fan? Is it good that a guy like Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport or these guys that are not in the market, not covering the team locally, is it good that they are the ones that have more access now? Is that good for the fans? Just just think about the fans in this situation. You talking about more access to the Titans or more access to the league? Because I, I mean, I, I'm of the stance that yes, uh, that Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport and you know all these guys breaking stories again. My my stance is never going to change on this. I, they, they shouldn't be breaking all the stories on NFL beats. I mean, that, that, because Nothing has changed to keep people from doing it locally. And, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to throw shade on the guys that cover the team now, but this way you get stories is still the same. You're still chasing agents. You're still trying to figure out sources on the team. You're still, you know, if you cover the team and you live in Nashville, Tennessee, and you're at practice every day and that's your beat, then, you know, being the first guy to retweet Adam Schefter is not a win. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry, but that's 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 just the way I was brought up in the business. So um, there's nothing that's keeping guys 
from getting stories now was just working to get them. And um, that's all I got to say about that. Is it it not, though, because they have access through the NFL League office? No, I mean, I I think a lot of these sources, I mean, a lot lot of the stories coming are not coming from the league office. They're coming from agents or sources within the team or from players or players' families or or people on the periphery. Um, So, uh, I mean – it's just, it's just, uh, it's hard to get them. I mean, I believe me, because I did it. I, you know, my, it was my life for so long. But um, <clears throat> that doesn't, uh, and, and not everybody's job is to be the one to break the stories. But if you're working at the Tennessean and that's the newspaper of record, and you live in Nashville, Tennessee, and they're paying you to own the Titans beat, which is what you're supposed to do, then, then. You should own the Titans B. I mean, that's what they're, you know, that's what people are looking for you to do is to deliver the news and to be, be the guy that, uh, that people, you know, turn to when they're looking for something. Uh, and, you know, I, I hated uh, when Adam Schefter or, or Ian Rapport, those guys got stories on my beat. And I, I'm not saying I got every one of them, but I, again, I was trying on every one of them. If they got me on one aspect of the story, I was trying to get them on the the second aspect of it. Lamestream Sports, Steve Cavendish of the National Banner is brought to you by Jasper. Oh, that one. The mic got most of that one. It only cut out. It only cut out for a second. It's learning your it's you know what it is. It's the cloud. It's the digital cloud learning your voice, which is really scary and terrifying. Um, you know what is, in fact, not scary and terrifying? A nice burger and a beer at Jasper's. $3 beers and a, and a $10 smash burger. Love it. During Preds home and away games, go to Jasper's. You put your car in the lot for $0. $0. You, Always $0. You walk in and you watch a Predators team that, frankly, is is playing pretty decent hockey. Actually. I mean, they're... they're they're entertaining to watch. I, I, I'm, I'm having fun watching the, I'm having a lot more fun than I, than I did after the gold standard prediction show, which, <laughs> uh, in which, which you guys picked them to finish in so, a, in, in a relatively low, low non-playoff position. They are, they play very, very hard and that makes them fun to watch. Um, and what makes it even more fun to watch is a $10 smash burger and $3 domestics during home or road games for the Nashville Predators. And then at the end of the night, a little digestive, you know, finish it off with a gold standard cocktail. I don't actually know if it's a digestive, but like whatever. It, it is not. But uh, but hey, you know, you know, just chase it down with a gold standard. I just, I just wanted to use that word to sound like I'm smarter than I actually am. Uh, the menu is fantastic. The happy hours are great. The food is great. I There's not. We get to this point every week, Steve. And I just say, what else are we supposed to tell you? It's great for business meetings. It's great for cocktail hour. It's great for Preds games. It's great for weekend football. The menu is fantastic. I took my wife there for lunch. You know, during the week, she works over there. We go have lunch at Jasper's all the time. It's a perfect lunch spot to meet up with your spouse. I don't, what, I took my daughter there to pregame. What else can we do at Jasper's? I don't even know. We can go park for free. That's what we can do. <laughs> That's all you got. <laughs> That's all I got. I, I Listen, we promised them we were going to mention been, we're, we're almost going on a year now of, of, of advertising for Jasper's, and every single time the parking has come up, as I promised them, it would. <laughs> I, it is it is the thing which which Nashvillians look at 
first. I wonder if you asked, we need to do a poll. If you ask people in Nashville and we just did word association <laughs> with Jasper's word association. Is it Deb Paquette? Is it fantastic food? Is it the next evolution of the sports bar? What might it be? And I bet free you parking. free parking. <laughs> I hope that's what you were going for, Jaspers. Thanks for hanging out with us. <laughs> Go to Jaspers, everybody. There, there are times when you're covering a professional team, uh, and as as a sports beat reporter, that you end up in a non-sports story. Uh, you know, we, like we talked earlier this year about uh, about M- McNair's death and so, sort of like that that piece of it. But I want to go back to when Rob Baronis died and kind of like how that story got like how that story got broken. I mean, and it it got it was it was fast moving, and all of a sudden you have to go from being a beat reporter to essentially a cops reporter. Uh, how did how the Baronis story happen? for you yeah it was it was it's quite sad that was the one sad story and and you know mcnear's another one uh that you know those to the weeks that followed were were unlike anything i'd ever dealt with and and again i go back to some you know my editors and and some of the stuff i learned when i first got into the business that helped me help me chase some of those but uh i was at a uh i was at a vanderbilt I think Kentucky football game that started like at seven o'clock at night and the Titans played in um, Cincinnati the next day. So I cover the game and I do a lot of stupid stuff going to Vanderbilt games and then drive up to Cincinnati or eight and a half after the game. So what did this game and ended at seven? I mean, it started at seven, probably ended at, at, at 10, drove up to Cincinnati, went to bed probably at 2.30. And then my phone rang at 3.30 in the morning and it was uh, it was a friend of Rob Baronis's who had told who told me that and somebody had dealt with about Rob before that told me that he had, had died in a, a in a car accident and that was like time I'd, I'd again I'd just been asleep probably thirty minutes I thought I was kind of dreaming I, I had a conversation with him I hung up tried to get wake through some water on my face tried to wake up to figure out okay what am I going to do now. Um, so I called my editor, kind of told him what I'd been told. Then I called Don Aaron with the police department, uh, called a couple other people to make sure um, that it was right. And in fact, it, sadly, it was. And I think I wrote a story at maybe four, you know, 345, 4 o'clock in the morning uh, that Rob Baronis had died in, in a car accident, um, you know, right off of Harding Place. And and then, yeah, everything kind of changed. I, I don't think I slept that night. I went to the Titans Bengals game, um, and then it was back in Nashville. And you're chasing every aspect of that story. And uh, I remember talking to his family. I remember talking to um, you know, so somebody reached out to me that told me that they had had an encounter with him that night on Harding Place and Franklin Road, and and some of the some of the things that he did and said and, and and the road rage maybe followed and then I talked to several other people so then it just everything just kind of mushroomed and and um and we were able to kind of you know figure out maybe what led up to that accident uh but that was and then and then there really never uh you know that's a story that really has never 
left me completely because I do see, you know, his next door neighbor, uh, my next door neighbor were two of his closest friends. And I used to see Rob if they're in my, you know, I'm looking over my backyard now where I used to talk to Rob, you know, in their backyard a lot of times. I see his parents, I see his sister from time to time. I remember going to his funeral and visiting his parents when I was cutting back through Louisville after a Titans game another time. So Brett Kern, one of his closest friends that I see on a regular basis, that's still a numbing thing for me is to, when you cover these guys and watch their exploits on the football field, and then you're dealing with the tragedy and their life ending and kind of how it happened. It was, it was, it was much bigger than football for sure. When you decided to cross the street, uh, metaphorically here to go work for the Titans as someone who was as consumed with the beat as you were, what was in the, what was in the decision there? We, you know, we, we talked, we talked, you and I talked about this a couple of years ago, but there's a, there's definitely a, there's definitely a switch and, 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 a, and, a, that decision probably didn't come lightly. Yeah. I, I, agonize, I really agonized over it. I mean, I look back now and think, you know, you know, and I, I shouldn't say I look back now and think, why was it such a hard decision? Because I, I think even today I would tell you I'm probably still a, a newspaper guy at heart, always will be. But um, but it was definitely the best decision for my family and for my future. And uh, and you know, I was going to run myself on the ground doing it the way I did it. Um, and um, that was the, the way the newspaper is going now. I mean, all those people that – bragged about earlier none of those none of them are there the culture of the newspaper has changed um you know sadly you know deadlines are six o'clock at night down there just don't travel like they used to it's just uh you know i, I wonder how much longer the tennesseans gonna be putting out a print edition i mean and I, and I i always thought that i would be uh, one of the guys that went down with the ship because I love the paper. I've worked there for 25 years. I have so many great memories from there. People treated me so well. Um, but I, I think I finally got to the point where I realized that, you know, you know, the way the newspaper business is going, this is an opportunity to work for a professional team in my hometown. Um, you know, I wouldn't have the stress that I had chasing these stories all the time. Um, yeah, it would be different, and, and it has been different. I mean, it, it, it is a, a completely different job. I mean, I fought so hard for so many years trying to figure out, you know, what they're not telling me or what's going on behind the scenes, and now working for the team, I know a lot of stuff that I can't say, and and <laughs> and certainly I have to cover things differently. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to press conferences and asking Mike Vrabel, you know, why he ran Luke Stocker on a goal line play, uh, you know, to try to win the game or, or, or I'm not, I'm not chasing police reports and I'm not questioning, you know, you know, again, coaching decisions or why guys not playing well. I'm trying, I, I mean, I try not to be, again, even though I work for the team, I try to at least try to be fair and not if the Titans lose, 30 to three, I'm not writing about the beautiful field goal that went through the uprights. I mean, I still try to, <laughs> try to be uh, fair and balanced and, and they've given me some freedom to be, uh, you know, to not feel like I have to be all, you know, you know, rainbows and, and unicorns. So I, I appreciate them kind of give me a little bit of flexibility. They were in mailbags and analysis pieces. I can kind of tell it like it is, but I know where the line is. I mean, and, 
and uh, I know what I probably can't, shouldn't say and what I can say. And, and I, I will say I really enjoy it. I mean, I work with great people with the team. Uh, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun to kind of cover it the way I'm doing now. But, um, but again, I think newspaper always be in my blood. And, and when I know the big stories out there, part of me probably thinks, man, I'd love to be in on the chase on this one. Well, and it sounds like even just your telling of the, the, the Baronis story, like I can hear the amount of stress, like literally like a five hour drive at night and waking up at three and sp- like, am I awake? And now I've got to cover a game and drive back. Like that's, you're trading all of that and that stress and all of that tension and all that, that craziness, you're trading all of that for, for a more peaceful existence for sure. But you do have that line where you know you you, you know you can't cross it. H- have you ever come close? Has there ever been a moment where you wrote something and someone said, <laughs> someone said, "Hey, um, you know, maybe that was a little too much." How did how did you figure out where the line was? From having people tell me that was a little too much. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have, yeah, I have had, I have had that happen several times uh, where you know you know you probably shouldn't be writing this or you, know, you sh- shouldn't be asking this or. Um, I, I kind of have learned over the years kind of where that line is. Uh, and, uh, and sometimes I write stuff and I'm kind of hold my breath and hope nobody says anything to me. And then I, a couple of days pass, I know I'm good, but, um, but yeah, it is, uh, <laughs> it's definitely different, but, but it is, I mean, just from a stress standpoint, because I mean, I, I still sleep by my, you know, with the phone by my bed every night, but, uh, you know, back then in that old job, I was I was always call, you know texting, calling agents, and always checking with sources with the team, and all trying to figure out you know what is going on, what they're not telling you, worried that somebody else is going to get it, and uh, it really is life consuming the way that I did it, and uh, I wouldn't you know while I sometimes you know, I'm critical of, 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 uh, of guys that followed me at the paper because, um, because it doesn't seem like that same culture is there where the expectation is there for you to get the story. I think, I think I wouldn't wish that on anybody because, <laughs> because it takes, it takes over your life. And, uh, and, um, so, I mean, I apologize to my wife all the time about all the stuff I had to miss or all the dinners I had to walk away from or the, or the vacations that I blew up because of work. And uh, I, my wife has been, always been very understanding and supportive and kind of knows that that went with it. She was very glad to see me make the switch. I, I probably work as much now as I did then, but it's just a different kind of work. I mean, I, th- I feel like I'm more present when I'm at home and not always distracted and, uh, and I'm not, you know, just flustered. Like I used to always be, you know, wondering what's out there. What do you, what do you wish you knew as a beat reporter, uh, that you know now from having worked, having crossed the street? Uh, probably, um, that's a good question. Uh, I will say that I, you know, as far as trying to, I, I, I realize how, you know, sometimes I see how small the circle is uh, on big stories and knowing that there's only a small amount of people that know certain things, but then there are other times than when I realize that, you know, that the, 
the pool is a little bit bigger. Uh, you know, as a newspaper guy, I did, and I, I'm not going to tell you all the people I tried to reach out to for sourcing because I don't want to give anybody any any secrets away. But I I tried everybody. But like when I was trying to get a story, I wasn't just trying the GM and the head coach. I was trying, you know, I was trying every avenue that I could take to try to pin stuff down. And uh, so I, I can't say that one of those is I wish I'd have known better who to, who to chase on these stories because I feel like I covered ground there pretty well. You know, I, I don't know. I, mean, I feel like in some ways I feel like, uh, you know, <laughs> I feel like I've lost my edge a little bit as a team guy than I, when I was a beat guy because you can't ever let your guard down. You always got to be on 24-7. Um, so, I mean, that, that's, that, that, that's why that kind of makes that difficult to answer because I feel like when I was a, a beat guy, I was so consumed that um, that there was nothing I didn't try and there's nothing I would have tried knowing what I know now. What about the game itself and, and how coaches and players interact, meeting rooms, game planning? You know, there's got to be – once you're behind the curtain, there's got to be sort of a better sense of how that stuff actually unfolds throughout the course of a week. Is there something – and, again, I'm not asking for Mike Vrabel's, like, secrets on how to run, like, blitz packages or whatever. I'm just, I'm just curious. There's got to be – Man, if I had known that's how these coaches work together with this scheme, is there is there more of that stuff that you're actually you've actually learned? Yeah, I mean, I, and I think yeah, the access is different. I mean, and, and yeah, you do learn some of that, you know, the scheme and just how how things are coached. I will say this: during a long period of time when I was the beat guy, Jeff Fisher had open practices. You could stand out there and watch him practice throughout the week. You just couldn't report on certain things. And then there was a time, uh, I think it was probably, I think it was when. Munchak took over where open practices were a thing in the past. And I, I, now I still am able to watch practices, but the local big guys can't. Um, so, I, I, you know, I think I, I just having access, seeing things like seeing practice now, seeing what they work on, seeing, seeing things during the course of the week. And then, you know, like um, I guess it was the cam bats and play. I mean, there's so many plays that I watch during the course of the week. And then I see them on Sunday work and you're thinking, okay, this is, this is, this is why they worked on this, you know, the Derrick Henry, you know, the, the wildcat throw or, you know, some of the trick plays that they use, it, it's neat to see them not work some of the times and then they work on them several times before they feel comfortable with them. And sometimes that goes on for weeks before it ends up in a game plan for a certain week. And then when you finally see it on a Sunday after you've seen it in practices for seven, eight, nine weeks in a row. I mean, that's cool. Uh, you know, things are a little bit different with COVID now, but, you know, working for the team, obviously, before the COVID, everything's kind of on pause now, but I was on the team plane, team hotel, eating, you know, seeing stuff inside the building that never dreamed I would see. I never, you know, you would never see as a big guy. But a lot of that you just kind of store in your mind and just keep as background, can't ever do any, anything with it. With COVID and with the pandemic stuff, uh, obviously access, the industry, the sport, everything has changed. Um, I asked you this kind of earlier about is there a tipping point on pushing back? But I even, even inside that answer, there is a, there's a, a, a type of an answer for a type of a situation where it actually would benefit the team 
if the fans knew like, oh, actually we throw the ball on third and one around the goal line because that's how we practiced against this look all week long. There, there, there are times when that information is valuable for the team to actually have it out there. So I, I don't know what your thoughts are on the future of just sort of the in- industry writ large where we, and college football is even worse, where you just don't get to know all the stuff that's happening, even though it might be beneficial for the team for it to be out there. Yeah, you're, and a lot of times you're setting stuff up to, to do something later. Um, but good luck on uh, trying to get some of that uh, <laughs> stuff out there with Vrabel as, uh, as head coach. Uh. <laughs> yeah, who's working on the third field, Jim? Who's yeah. on the third field, buddy? Are, are there any personalities? Let me ask you this before we wrap up. Uh, are there any personalities on the Titans? Because I think Derrick Henry was like this for a while, where he's just this big, lovable guy that didn't really exude that very often out there in the public. Who are the players that fans need to know? There's so much more there. They just don't, they're just not comfortable sharing it or they're not allowed to share it. Or who are some of the guys that you want to highlight just so that fans know like that, that's, that guy is far more interesting than his, his stock answer to the, you know, to the TV channel when they ask a question. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, AJ Brown is, is probably, uh, and people see it in, in snippets, but, you know, because he's a pretty, you know, he's pretty charismatic and he's got, you know, such kind of a good way about him. But, you know, he is a really fun guy who is all about football. And and believe me, I've covered some diva receivers and a lot of players who were in it more for, uh, you know, for themselves and for, for fame and for trying to hit certain milestones. And then there are some guys who are really true, hardcore football guys and AJ is one of those. I mean, AJ is, you know, he's got people follow him on Instagram or social media. See, so he's got a little girl that he spent so much time with, but he just pretty much is a football junkie and is a lot of, lot of fun to kind of cut up with and, and hang around. Again, I, the one thing I hate so much about COVID is that I hadn't been in a locker room in two years. So uh, I was just kind of getting to know AJ as a rookie and seeing some of that side of it. And then boom, we, I see him now, you know, on the fence line or at the podium. Um, but, but he, he's one that really has a larger, uh, than life personality. Derek is, you know, you know, he doesn't open up in some of those sessions, but he does so much good stuff off the field and, and a lot of stuff, uh, the people that don't even know about, um, you talk about a no-nonsense guy and uh, as far as his work ethic and, and how much it means to him. He hates, you know, you, you guys can tell, he hates the spotlight. He hates it when people talk about him. He wants to deflect to somebody else. Uh, so there are more guys like that on this team now than there were, you know, 10 years ago. Because I, I, mean, I think back to before the, really the culture change with, with John Robinson and Mike Vrabel and the locker room was a little bit more disjointed. You had – you know, the receivers did their own thing and the D-line were doing their thing across the way and, and everybody, you know, you know, losses sometimes didn't seem to bother those guys as much where now the culture is different and everybody seems to kind of be pulling the same way and is serious about what's going on. Because of the nature of the NFL and the sheer level of attrition that happens on rosters, you know, the Titans are the Titans have, have pulled people in off the street, essentially, you know, to uh, off somebody else's practice squad or, or unsigned or whatever to and end up getting playing time. But because of COVID, you know, it's it's hard to get to them. How do you tell the stories of 
these people who are coming in and making an impact in a game and yet you know you just can't you just can't get to them yeah you can't and that's that's the hardest thing about the last couple of years as, as far as my job is not just me i mean it's everybody that covers the team but you know you're used to going in the locker room during the open availability and and you know, going standing next to AJ Brown and and not when all the cameras are there, but when everybody's gone or going to David Long's locker or you know going to Elijah Molden's locker or, or pick when the crowd leaves, then going to talk to Kevin Byard. And so you find out a lot more about you know the players and their personalities and what things mean to them. And and you know if you get a great interview with Elijah Molden, you know you don't have to rush to your computer and write it in you know 20 minutes just to try to beat everybody else in the story because nobody else is there for the for that interview and you're not finding out a lot of the uh, background on some of these guys unfortunately now and again it's not just a titans problem and a titans media problem it's across the league i talk to, to you know reporters all over the league each week when i go to press conferences hey what's what's access like for you guys what's what are interviews like and they're all dealing with the same thing you're getting guys at the podium you're getting them in the defense line you're getting them when you're in a scrum and everybody's getting the same stuff every once in a while you get a you can get a an interview with the guy but everybody's getting the same stuff and um and everybody's writing a lot of the same stuff. So I, I hate that. And I hope next year, you know, locker rooms are back open again and you can find out more about these players and, and get more than just what you're going to see on these, you know, you know, four or five minute clips with these guys uh, in a rushed interview before practice starts. Jim, thank you, man. Uh, you've been very gracious with your time. Very insightful. We appreciate it. And, uh, you know, you, you Titans, all, all the Titans folks that are running the state run media, you guys do it brilliantly. You guys do it better than anybody else. You, you create great content. And uh, I think the Titans fans are lucky to have so many good people working in that building doing what you guys are doing. So thank you. I appreciate that. Y'all have a great day. Thanks for having me. That was Jim White, of course, of Titans Online, the Tennessee Titans, official Titans reporter. I don't know what you want to call him now. He works for the Titans. And uh, listen, I will say this because I am fascinated by the amount of effort, energy, and time it takes to be a great beat reporter to break news. You know, the amount of conversations I've had with my wife about the amount of work you do in sports media when you're working on Saturday nights, late night, or Sunday mornings, or at all hours of the day and all times of of, of the week. And it's just the thing that affects your family. And I don't think I ever really knew or understood how, what made Jim Wyatt great at what he did was having such a huge effect on his life. And that, that is something I think that goes very unnoticed and untalked about. Beat jobs are hard when they're done. Well, uh, they're, they're, they're really hard. And, and it's why you, you rarely see people stay on beats for an entire career. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll change around to, different beats they'll do they'll do different things but they just it is it is a it is a very very tough thing when done well and that's and that's the key thing jim was was one of the best if not the best you know beat reporter in town broke a ton of news covered uh wrote a i mean he was just a machine in terms of the of, of his output uh and his desire to not be beaten on a story and I, that has changed 
uh, dramatically. You know, we, we, we've talked in the past kind of about how columnists at the, at the paper of record don't matter as much as, as they used to, because you had climber who was such a, who was such a hugely influential person. Uh, he was replaced by Rex road who did a, who did a really good job, but also he didn't have the same, he didn't have the same vehicle that climber did uh, in terms of just kind of the, the, the reach of the, the reach of the paper every day because it, it has shrunk. And then now you have, you have Gentry Estes who has even less of a reach than Rex road did. And so, and I think that's also true kind of on the premier beats there, you know, you, you don't have the, the Titans beat reporter today does not have the same reach that, that Wyatt did when Wyatt walked across the street, it was shocking, not just because Jim, you know, I, I thought Jim was going to be a lifer and he said this, you know, thought he was going to be a lifer, at the newspaper, but also because when he walked across the street, he took his Twitter feed with him. Yeah. And that Twitter, I was going to say that was, that was as much self, that was as much defense as it was offense for the Titans. Let's be honest. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that Twitter feed was the single biggest source of breaking Titans news in, in, in town. And, and, and nothing has replicated it. No beat reporter has come in here and even come close to replicating that, that, amount of you know that amount of force yeah uh, well special thanks to jim he is fantastic he's great i think you can see the tenacity and the competitiveness and hear it in his voice and uh we really really, really appreciate his time so hope you guys enjoyed that uh all right ratings and recommendations number one nfl titans and colts 29.1 that puts him up there among the highest rated games of the season of course overtime helps uh a, a divisional opponent and you know, not knowing what's going on. That was that was there. Uh, Packers and Cardinals, a 17.6. Uh, number two, that was a Thursday night game. Um, what the hell's my quarterback doing? Uh, Buccaneers <laughs> and Saints, number three. Bucks and Saints there, uh, 14.2. How about this? World Series game number five uh, was a 13.5, which I believe was Sunday evening, correct? And that yep. was the one they, the Braves lost before coming back on Tuesday and I don't remember what happened on uh, Tuesday night. Uh, SEC number five, Georgia and Florida, a 12.0. Again, that would be right around number five, six, or seven in, in highest rated SEC games of the year. So that's one of the higher rated games of the year. In yeah, that, was, that game was an ass kicking too. I mean, yeah, just... well, well, it was three nothing, you know, 27 minutes into the game. So it was very close. And or then Georgia, Georgia was winning by three. And then it was then the, then the title wave happened. Yeah. yeah. And then Dan Mullen happened. So uh, World Series, it'll be interesting to see next week where game six, you know, again, that's Fox broadcast, big broadcast network on a on a Tuesday night where in the southeast, you know, obviously, yeah, they, that's they, they my guess people. is that's that's going to be a good number. That's going to be a really good number. I, I would guess it's number two behind the upcoming Titans game. So we'll see uh, next week on the show. But again, Titans Colts 29.1. That's the third overtime game of the season. And that is one of the, that's the third, I think, game rated at 29. So those are the highest numbers. You know, that's one of the higher rated games and much higher than the previous Colts game. Uh, that is for sure. One thing I do want to th- uh, toss in here, there was a lot of chatter over the week, uh, over the weekend during Titans Colts about that broadcast team. So Spiro Didis and, uh, and Jay Feely was the, was the team. If you look on that, you know, CBS has one, two, three, four, five, six, has seven main teams, and they kind of list them in, in order. Spiro and, and Jay Feely are are numbers are number six on that list. And and it and it showed they were they were awful. They were <laughs> and 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 that they and I think this the CBS production 
mirrored that at one point uh, when uh, the Titans got that pick six late in the game. The the production crew gave the extra point to the to the Colts for a while, and and I think they made the score 30-25 instead of 31-24. I mean, it was just it was a terrible broadcast. And with Derrick Henry going out and, and sort of like the star, you know, the 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 star power of what there is for that, you know, the attraction on a national level for this team. Yeah. You're, you're saying they're not going to get any more, even though they're going to be on Sunday night television this week after that. I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Sunday afternoon games are going to be fallow fields. Yeah. Well, you know, who's really pissed about the Derrick Henry injury NBC executives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're pissed about that. Yeah. Um, I will say this though. People were like raving about getting Charles Davis a couple of weeks ago on a broadcast, which I think he's much higher on the list. Right. And I, I, he couldn't like, again, these, these, none of these broadcast teams can say the players names correctly. Anthony Ferkser, no. Kevin Byard, like they're not hard names to say anyway, just uh, obviously I had my, if you, if you see Spiro or Tom McCarthy though, I mean like try to sync yeah. up with the radio feed because it's just, <laughs> it's just awful. Right. Um, all right. Recommendations here on the show. I'll go real quickly here. This is not, it's on a political podcast feed, but it is a separate new podcast and it is called offline with John Favreau. It is about, he does a deep dive every Sunday into sort of our lives and our interactions with the internet. I am fascinated by it, how our brains work, how our lives work. It's, it's a fascinating deep dive. His first guest was Gia Tolentino and I recommend her book, which I think was book of the year, a couple of years ago, uh, trick mirror. It is a collection of essays about uh, reflections on self delusion. If you're into that kind of stuff and want to be really nerdy about it, go for it. It is fascinating. Um, she is fascinating in the first episode. Monica Lewinsky was the second episode and she's sort of the, she calls herself sort of patient zero for how the internet has begun to shame people. And, and it's turned into this, you know, she's got a documentary about it. So I recommend the podcast. Um, again, the, the other episodes are very politically driven and based. So if you're not into that, I, that's cool, but check out offline on Sundays on the pod save America feed from John Favreau. It's awesome. And the book trick mirror from Gia Tolentino. It is outstanding. Go check it out. Excellent. I have two very short recommendations. The first is the new Brandy Carlisle album. If you are a fan of music, it is it is amazing. She torched Saturday Night Live last week. Uh, there was a, a her new single "Broken Horses." Like that. Like I, I've just had like that that video just sort of replaying. It is so it is so good. You know, only, when you can bro we, only broken horses know how to run, Steve. Right. I mean, it's, when you can walk out when you walk out in like a in like know, a in like a gold suit and just. <laughs> I mean, that's just confidence. It's, it's fantastic. Ball, it's, it's baller. Yeah. It's awesome. The other thing is, if you can find a DVD of this, <laughs> because it is not streaming anywhere, if you can find a DVD of this, you will be rewarded with a great movie from the mid 80s, which I which I had a, which I rewatched the other day. To Live and Die in LA is a William Friedkin movie from 85 or 86. Okay. It's got it's got Willem Dafoe. It's got a bunch a bunch of other people that you'll sort of recognize. Uh, including the guy from CSI whose name escapes me right now. I cannot remember. Anyway, but it is like one of the best sort of noir cop chase movies. Okay. It's about counterfeiting. It, oh, it's about like it. gritty LA. It is It is fantastic. And, uh, and I, I can't believe I'm going to say these words here. It has a soundtrack by Wang Chung that <laughs> is awesome. It is okay. just right. it is just awesome. Right. So Sounds very boshy, actually. Sounds yeah. Very but go 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 find it. Go find a disc at this someplace. I don't even think you can. I don't even think you can rent it on 
on on like Prime or or Apple TV or something like that. Does that stand it for is, digital video disc? Is that what that stands for? Digital video disc. Do you have a player? <laughs> kids, <laughs> kids. <laughs> you know, go find it. Ask digital... your a, ask your mom. <laughs> see, if she, see if she still got her player. This is where we're at. Your grandfather's got one in his closet. That's where we're at. <laughs> this is this is where we reached. Um, yeah, go check that out. Brandy Carl, my daughters love Brandy Carl. We're taking her. We're taking all to both daughters. The the whole family going to ascend next year to the Brandy Carlisle show. Uh, you and me on the rock is the request in my car on the way to daycare every single morning. They awesome. are they are obsessed with Brandy Carlisle. They love her and they definitely loved her power suit. <laughs> no, that suit was that suit was just baller. You want to you want to empower a five year old little girl? You show her Brandy Carlisle on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> and she thinks she can take over the world, which is awesome. great. So uh, special thanks to Jim Wyatt for hanging out with us, man. It's always, I just love listening to that guy tell stories and talk shop. Uh, of course, ratings and Rex as well. Steve Cavendish, where can people find you? And Lamestream Sports is brought to you by whom? Uh, it's a two-part question. Yep. Um, yep. It's always brought to you by Jaspers. And if you really want to find me, you can find me on social media at Scavendish on Twitter or Instagram. Where can the they old, find you, Braden? The old two-parter. Go to Jasper's is where you can find me, of course, most evenings, afternoons, weekends. I just spend all my time at Jasper's. Or I'm on the internets at Braden Gall all over the place as well. Special thanks to Jim Wyatt. Special thanks to all of you guys for listening. Please share the show. That is all that we ask. This has been Lamestream Sports on the 440 Sports Network. <laughs>